Um, one of the things that's interesting, you talk about uh, the, the disciples being able to say, we saw Jesus do this. Uh, and so the, there's the, the opportunity that comes with them being able to speak that, but there's also the accountability that comes with that because they were living in a time when the stories were happening, right? So it's like people would say, well, that never happened because I was, would have been around or whatever. And so there's, uh, there's credibility that comes with even the stories that are recorded because they were written in a time when people would have been around to remember, right? So it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful opportunity, but then there's also credibility that comes with um, just the way that the, the time in which those, those stories were recorded. So we are continuing, uh, kind of in some ways, we're continuing the series we've been in with, um, we've been talking about the Jesus stories, the stories that Jesus told to, to help people move forward. And now in some ways really are extending that idea saying, this is like the big Jesus story, right? So the book of Luke, Jenny, Jenny promised I was going to talk about this a little bit, the, the gospel Luke, right? The, the book of Luke, um, the companion to the book of Luke is the book of Acts. So Luke wrote the book of Act, or the, the book of Luke to tell the story of Jesus, and then he wrote the, the the book of Acts to tell the story of the church in response to what Jesus had done. So if you're looking to kind of like look at the quick story of from Jesus' birth to um, to what the the church did in response to that that whole time period of like the the movement and the start of Christianity, you look you can read the book of Luke and then move right into the book of Acts to see the story. They really do pick right up. Up, uh, right where, right where the book of Luke picked uh, left off, uh, we'll talk about some one of the interesting views of that, or the way that Luke was approaching that in a moment. But uh, we're talking this morning specifically about the story of Pentecost. Right, this is the moment uh, we're looking at it at, 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 as the, the church has. This is that transition between the Gospels that Jesus had been on Earth and had lived and served and died and rose again, and then at the the end of the book of Luke, at the end of the Gospel accounts of the Jesus story, he's ascending back into heaven and he's telling the disciples, "Now go." Take this to the ends of the earth, right? At that point, there was 11 of them that were, that were gathered in that, in that place, and, and they've been told, now take this to the very ends of the earth. And so they've, they've just been, they've gone through all sorts of things. If you think about just the, like the weeks leading up to that moment, They've watched their friend and mentor and their leader suffer a brutal death on the cross. He's he's uh, rose again from the dead, but they had the the, the time in between where they were waiting, and then and the fear that would come with that. And then he raises from the dead and 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 begins to to, to really push them in this missional understanding of of what life is supposed to look like. And then they they watch him now ascend into heaven and then they're left trying to figure out what life is supposed to look like. So in some ways you have, at the beginning of the book of Acts, you have this, well, what does normal even look like after all of that, right? You have this pause at the beginning of the book of Acts where the church is trying to figure out this, this movement that we're a part of, this movement called Christianity, where they're, they're trying to figure out what do we do in response to all that has just happened, right? The world has changed, which I think maybe makes it such a perfect moment for us to, to look at that kind of moment, to, to look and say, um, there is so much that, that has changed. The last few months has, has changed the world in some ways, maybe not forever, but at least for a while, right? That, that things will be different. So we, we go to the grocery store and we, we find that maybe not all of us do this, but I see other people do this when I'm with my cart. And if I get a little too close, you see people just kind of like move a little further away. Has that happened to anybody else? Or is that just me? Like this... Um, kind of universal suspicion, right? That it's like, wait, he might have something that I don't want to have. And so just kind of like watching the way the world is working. And we're saying, man, we want to get back to normal, right? We want to get back to normal. So, so for us, even what we're doing this morning is a, is a glimpse of what it feels like to, to, to find normal on the other side of all these things. But we're not just getting back to 
the way things were, right? When, I think sometimes when we talk about kind of get back to normal, what we really mean is I want to get back to a way of living that doesn't require thought, right? That, that kind of feels a little bit more like autopilot, that, that doesn't require me to make all the same kinds of decisions. I can kind of fought, find myself back in the groove and the rhythms and the habits and all those things that, that existed before March 2020. So we're talking about this, this idea of normal. What we're going to talk about this morning really, it's so parallel because what we're really talking about is a new normal. We talked Pentecost 2020, the, the title of the, the subtitle of the message this morning. You, you add the word or the, the numbers 2020 after almost anything and it's like, it's like code for it's different, right? <laughs> it's like this is not like it used to be. That 2020, there has not been a moment it feels like in 2020 that has felt like any other year leading up to it. And so Pentecost, for us to, to experience what, 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 what God was doing in that, to understand Pentecost in, in our own aftermath, right? Trying to find our own new normal, trying to find a way forward, I think is, is maybe one of the, the, the best moments that we could have to understand this particular moment. And so we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. And Luke, as he's, as he's writing the gospel of, of Luke and he's writing Acts, he, he says, look, I'm, I'm trying to give an orderly account of a story. Right? A story that was anything but ordin- or ordinary. Uh, it was anything but ordinary. That it was anything but orderly. It was. It was a story that was full of all sorts of chaos. It was full of all sorts of surprising cir- circumstances. Full of all sorts of things that that didn't feel normal. And so Luke says to even begin to understand this. In some ways, he's saying this is like this is the orderly account. It, it doesn't have all the pieces of the, the the fear and all those kinds of things because it's there's just different layers to it. And so he's giving us this orderly account of the story. And in this story, we'll see multiple themes that, that emerge. But, but Acts chapter 2, it's the story of a moment called Pentecost. And starting in verse 1, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Right? They've just gone through all these different moments that, that felt like they were going to change everything. And just as they're starting to figure out what the game plan is, just as they're starting to figure out, okay, so, so Jesus told us to take this story to the ends of the earth. And, and maybe the, at, 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 this, at this point, as they've talked through their plan, they're starting to realize that they are severely limited in their potential personally, right? Here are these ordinary people that have gathered together, and now this mission is, is huge. They would have known at least a sense of, of how big the world was at that point. And for them to understand that what Jesus told them to do was to, to take it to the very ends of the earth, it's like, okay, so what's our plan? How do we make this happen? What, what, what resources do we have available to us to, to make this happen? And as maybe as they're starting to wrestle with this, maybe even as they're starting to get a little bit frustrated with, with the, their lack of what feels like potential, and then, and then all these things are happening, they're gathered together, and then God, right? God shows up and he breathes into this place something that, that transforms everything about the way they saw what was ahead of them. That they began to realize that, that, that the power of God was present in their lives, that, that God was working in them and working through them. And all of a sudden, the mission became something very, very different than maybe what they expected it to be. They were reminded that it's not on their own strength. It's not, it's not just who they are, but it's, it's who they're with in the mission. And so now, 
Verse 5, now, they were, staying, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, right? This is as, as big as the world that they could imagine would have been at this point. There's representation from, from the whole world. He says, when they heard the sound, this crowd uh, came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? which sounds like it's maybe they're, they're giving some sort of compliment, saying, wow, it's amazing. These people from Galilee are, are doing this thing. That's, that's, that's impressive. But what they're really describing, the way that, that they're talking, it's like they're, they're saying, aren't those, those kind of like bumpkins from Galilee, right, to understand that? They're, they're saying it with this kind of sense of, of rejection of a people, saying, how in the world could this be? Right? These people are, are not the kind of people that, that could actually like, do something impressive. That, that here is this, these people who are, who are from a place where extraordinary things don't seem to happen. Right? That, that there's no way that this could all be happening. And so that it starts with one of the themes that we're going to see woven through this story, this, this, this theme of rejection. This theme of saying, well, these people probably aren't capable of doing this, so now we have to figure out a way to make sense of this that, that's, that's obviously not in their, because of their skill or because of their knowledge or because of their understanding. They said, aren't these, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears in our native language uh, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and, and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues." By the way, that particular passage, if you have like the nightmare scenario sometimes of being in a small group where you're like, oh no, I got the, the, it's my turn to read scripture and it's that, those verses, right? Come on. Um, my kids were talking about that this week saying that it's, it's fun to hear you do, read the sentences that nobody wants to have to read those <laughs> with all the, the, the locations and all those kinds of things. But, but here they are, the, the, the known world at that moment, right? The, the, everywhere they can imagine, these people have gathered from, from all of these places, and they're saying, we hear this good news. We hear God speaking through these people in, in a way that we can understand it. So we're starting to see this, this theme that's woven through that it's this, this idea that when God moves, that God is doing a work in us that, that then goes and changes the world around us. That they're hearing the wonders of God in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, right? These would be good terms to, to understand this moment. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Right? Here's the crowd trying to make sense of it. They've already tried to figure out if it makes sense based on where these people are, have come from. Now they're, they're trying to make sense. Like There has to be an explanation. There has to be something going on here that, that we just don't understand. And so then there's a group of them in verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine which again is another moment of rejection, right? Not only have they been rejected by where they're coming from or kind of those attributes of who they are, now they're being rejected based on the response that they're giving to what God is doing. These are disciples who have, who have watched as Jesus was rejected. They've watched as people have mistreated their leader. They've watched as, as people have like rejected the idea of Jesus in some ways. But it's different when it's rejection personally, right? When it has to do with where you come from when it has to do with who you are, the things that you can't change, right? It's not just about the, like, they're rejecting an idea or they're rejecting a person. They're, they're rejecting you to feel that kind of rejection, to feel the sting of that kind of rejection when it, when it gets personal. 
And so it's in that context. It's, it's all of these things happening. God is doing this extraordinary thing. God has done something extraordinary through Jesus. He's, he's done something extraordinary as he's, as he's breathed his fire into, the, into this gathered group of people. And now the disciples have to decide what to do. Right? They've been rejected. That there's, there's these lines that are drawn around what people would imagine their potential really is. And then Peter... Peter gets up to speak, starting at verse 14. Peter, who is typically the first to speak, if you look at Peter's story through the, the gospel accounts, you'll see Peter often being the first to speak and often getting it wrong, right? Often being the one who he'll, he'll speak, and Jesus is like looking at the disciples saying, so, so what do you think the answer is? And then you have Peter like, well, I'm going to give it a try. And he says it, and Jesus is like, it's not quite right. My, my kids, we talk about this. They're waiting for it. I see smiles up in the tech booth here right now. Because I, I talk about the moments in Scripture where you see face palm Jesus, where he's like, oh, come on. Like, you just, like, we have to do this again and again. Like, we have to keep having this, this same conversation, right? Because it's like, we've, we've talked about this. And if you've been around me long enough to, to understand the way this all works, that, that we're still having the same conversation. So Peter usually is the one that is first to speak and first to kind of get that response. But there's this redemptive reality that God is working through Peter, that, that God is transforming Peter. So now Peter's tendency to get himself in trouble with his quick to speak or first to speak reality is now coming and, and being the first to speak. And God uses it to, to bring such hope to this crowd. So then Peter, verse 14, then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. He says, listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So we have another theme that's going to emerge as, as Peter begins to speak is, is this reliance on Scripture, reliance on the consistency of the character of God, that, that God has revealed himself in consistent ways over the years. And so Peter is saying, look, I may be personally rejected. You may not like where I came from. You may not like even how I'm responding to what God's doing. But let's go back to what God has said he would do all along. And so he says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, is, is now Peter relying on Scripture. It says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit. And in those days, they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And then Peter ends with this in his quoting of Joel. He says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? That, that Peter is beginning to build his argument. He's beginning to respond to what, what people are trying to, to, to make sense of or the arguments that might be put in front of him. He says, so let's talk about what God has said about himself. Let's talk about the way God has revealed himself over the years. And so now he moves from just the, the reliance on Scripture and adds to it the reliance on Jesus' story. Right? So we can talk about what it looks like for us to respond as we, as we get pushed back, as we start to make steps forward, spiritually speaking. How is it that, that we respond? So he relies on Scripture. He relies on the Jesus story. 
fellow Israelites. Verse 22, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Remember, this is a moment, not just that the disciples had been with Jesus, but people would have known the stories, right? That that Jesus was doing extraordinary things. So there's credibility that comes with, with Peter saying, look, you've heard the stories of Jesus. You've heard the whispers. You've heard the rumors. You've You've heard about the miracles that have happened. Now let me help you understand what all this means. He says, as as you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by uh, God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. But God, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And, he, and then now, now Peter moves to, to talk about their, their own history. He says, as David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. And you will fill me with joy in your presence. And Peter says, so now we've talked about the story of, of what, how God has revealed himself. We've talked about the Jesus story and what it means for us. And so this is what, what David had to say about the way this was all going to play out. And so then Peter begins to build his argument. He says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that, that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. He has received from the Father the uh, He has received from the the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then Peter says, Therefore. Therefore, if all of this, or because all of this is true, then what does it look like for us to actually apply this to our lives, to, to actually take what's true, to, to understand the consistency of God as he's revealed through himself through Scripture, to, to take the consistency of God as it's been revealed through the person of Jesus Christ, as it's, as it's been revealed through your history as a people, to take all of that and say, so therefore, right? Because all of this is true, because, because this is the reality that we stand on. It says, therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And Peter lets that sit in the crowd, right? As, as they're trying to figure out their responses, they're trying to make sense of it, as they're, as they're trying to get their heads around what they're experiencing. And in verse 37, when the people heard this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Right, this story started with a story of rejection. At least this, this piece of the story started with rejection. And now there's this, this moment of repentance, this moment of, of redemption that's, that's being played out right in front of them. And so Peter replied with next steps, with here's your next step. And then the step that comes after, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter speaks hope, this, this story that started with Peter and his, and his friends being rejected by the people around them. He now speaks hope, and he speaks this, this idea that they're being invited in, that, that it's not about drawing the lines, it's not about figuring out what, what, about who's, what, who's in and who's out, but he's saying, so let me tell you what this means. 
verse 39, the promise, right? The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all, uh, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The net could not be cast wider, right? He says, this is, this is for you, right? You who at the beginning of this conversation were maybe even pointing to us saying these people must be drunk because they're just not acting right, right? They're, or these people are from Galilee, so we're not even sure that they could even be capable of doing what it is that we're seeing happening in front of us. That, that this group that was, that was watching this happen, these people with their own set of expectations, their own sense of how it was all supposed to play out. Peter is looking at them saying, look, it may not make sense, You may not be able to wrap your head around all of this, but let me tell you something. There is hope. Let me tell you that it's it's for you, and it's for your children, and it's for people who are are a long way off. Right now we're talking generations of of, of distance. We're talking geographic distance. We're talking potentially cultural differences. All those kinds of things that that Peter is looking at, and with a story that started with rejection, with a story that started with lines being drawn, of, of a suspicion, and all those kinds of things that that his response, his transformed response, as God gets a hold of him and, and helps him see things differently, instead of saying, look, we have found truth and you guys just don't get it. That when God moves, right, as God is, is getting a hold of Peter's heart, as God works through Peter, that, that the story is hopeful, right? That it's, that it's God's heart on display saying the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Right? That, it's, that it's bigger than what you think, that, that you may have rejected me, but God has not rejected you. We're going to get there. Right? Here's your next step. Repent and be baptized. The themes of rejection, of reliance on Scripture, reliance on the Jesus story, of, of repentance and redemption that, that are woven throughout this story. That it's about more than just language. Right? It's about the heart of God. It's about the mission of God. It's about, about things being bigger and different than maybe what we'd expect them to be. About a new normal that's, that's better than what normal was before everything changed, right? To, to find in the aftermath this, this new normal. So this morning, we're invited to embrace a new normal, right? We're invited to embrace a new normal that, that is not autopilot, right? That, that's not just us kind of going through and finding the path of least resistance. It's, it's not about survival or comfort. It's, it's not about suspicion. It's not about rejection. It's not about these kinds of things, it's about finding normal and after everything has changed, embracing the new normal, leaning in and saying, God, what is it that you're trying to teach me? What is it that, that you're doing in me that, that you want to do through me? In some ways, you could look at it this way, that we've already been pushed to the edge, right? We've been pushed right up to the edge of chaos. For some of us, we might say, look, my life, it feels like it's been pushed beyond chaos, right? We've already been pushed beyond our comfort zones. We've already been pushed beyond what, what we would be willing to, like the, the places we'd be willing to go. We've already been pushed to the edge. What if we learned to live there, right? What if we learned to say, God, whatever it is that you want to do that, look, there's already chaos. I'm already learning to operate within chaos. I'm already learning to operate within change. My world has already been disrupted. What if I'm willing to say, God, keep disrupting. God, help me find a new normal on the other side of of all the things that we've walked through. Let's learn to live in the new normal, to embrace our new normal. And it starts starts with getting over rejection, right? This is the story that the disciples were having to navigate. It started with a story of of them being rejected, of them trying to figure out what it was all supposed to look like. And and, and there's there's a tendency that we have when we feel rejected, or maybe we just, in our own self-reflection, that we tend to reject ourselves. And so it starts with understanding the promise. It starts with understanding the promise. Getting over rejection starts with, with, with understanding the promise, which means that we live in 
the promise. That when we look in the mirror, when we look at ourselves, when we look at our lives, that, that we can imagine that we're a people of the promise that, that Peter is speaking of. That you are not so far off that the promise is not for you. That, that, that it's for you and for your children and for all those who are, who are still a long way off, which gives all of us hope. To look at, to look at our lives as, as a people of promise. To look at our lives and say, look, it's, it's not just that I'm, I'm, I'm rejecting myself or, or saying there's no way God could use me because here's all the things I've done wrong. Here's all the things that, that don't add up in my life. Here's all the things I'd have to change. Here's all the things I'd have to fix before, before God could speak hope through me. What it looked like for us to get over that and to say, I'm a person of promise. Or, I'm a person of, of the kind of promise that Peter is describing, that, that we can look at ourselves and we can look at our lives and, and we can imagine better. Right? That we could begin to potentially see the edges of what God sees when he sees us. To, to live as a people of promise, to live in the promise, which means we look at ourselves differently. To not reject ourselves, to not reject the possibility of, of what could be in our lives. And then we live out the promise which means that we look at other people with that same kind of eyes, right? That, that we look and we say, so, so, so I, can, I can see the value of a person. That when we're at the, at the grocery store and we're walking in, in kind of like in our normal lives and we gather together in small groups and we gather together in, in this place that we look and we don't just see people, but we see people that God loves. We see people that God loves so much that he sent his son for them that he disrupted the disciples' lives so much so that he said, now, now go and live in a different way because this matters that it goes to the very ends of the earth, that, that people who are still a long way off get to experience what this actually means. To live out the promise means that we see people in that kind of way, that, that our heart begins to, to help us understand because God is transforming us, that we can be able to see people differently. And so we get over rejection, the rejection of ourselves and of the rejection of other people we say, what does it look like for us together to, to be a people of that kind of promise, to, to say, what is it that God's wanting to do in me, and then what is, what is it that God wants to do through me? So we get over rejection, and then we get in on the movement. We get on the movement, which is the multiplication portion of it, right, kids? If you're keeping track of the words that I'm saying, multiplication is one of those. Because what God does in us, what God does in us is not just for us, but it's for the world around us, too. That, that what happens in this place, when you talk about movement, when you talk about what it looks like for us to, to embrace what God is doing, that it's not just about what happens here, but it's, what about, it's about what God does through what happens in our lives. To get in on the movement, to recognize that God is on the move, that God is inviting us to be a part of something that, that really matters. That he changes us and he changes the world around us. And that means that we... That maybe in our new normal, we find our eyes fixed, not just on our problems, not just on the chaos that's around us, but we fix our eyes on Jesus. We say, what is it that, that the world looks like? If my eyes are fixed on him, then, then I can look at the rest of the world through him. That we fix our eyes on Jesus to, to understand that, that where we're going, where our eyes are fixed, are, is, is, is on Jesus. And then our heart is for the world around us, for those around us, because that's what Jesus' heart was for also. Right? That, that what happened at Pentecost wasn't just for the benefit of those people in the room that saw the fire show up, but, but what happened at Pentecost was for the benefit of the world, right? That, that Peter seems to understand this, to say, look, this is God on the move. This is God not just doing something in us and for us and, and showing off with signs and wonders, but this is, this is so you can see that God is for you. Right? And so Peter has this generous spirit as he's, as he's speaking even in the face of rejection. 
because his eyes are on Jesus, that his response is different, that his, that his words are different because his eyes are fixed on his king, on Jesus, and his heart is for those around him. So we look at that and we say, eyes on Jesus, heart for the world around us, heart for those around us, then, then that means that we do whatever it takes, just like Jesus did, whatever it takes to bring those two together. Because when God moves, because when God moves, he moves us. God is perfectly capable of, of revealing himself to the world without our help, right? That, that, that we're not doing him a favor, that, that God is saying, I want you to get, on, get in on this, that, that I choose to work through you. God is perfectly capable of, of revealing himself, but he chose to work through us. And so the way that God moves, the, the movement that we're talking about, it, it starts by, by God working in us. And it's this, this inward transformation that leads to outward movement. Because the story of Jesus always moves outward. Right? That it's, all, it's always on the mission. It's always moving outward. 